Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. My guest today is Dr. Scott Shreve, who is the National Director of Palliative Care and Hospice for the Veterans Affairs. Actually, Dr. Shreve did this presentation as part of the Muffins for Maniac series of the Hospice and Palliative Care Network of Maryland. So my thanks to Dr. Shreve and my thanks to the Hospice Network of Maryland for allowing me to use this as our podcast series. I will turn it over now to Kat Lally, who will introduce Dr. Shree further. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our November Methods for Maniacs webinar. Uh, my name is Catherine Lally. I'm the Administrative Assistant for the Network, and our presenter this morning is Dr. Scott Shreve. Um, Dr. Shreve is the National Director of Palliative and Hospice Care for the Department of Veterans Affairs. He's responsible for all policy, program development, staff education, and quality assurance for palliative and hospice care provided or purchased for enrolled in veterans. Clinically, Dr. Shreve commits half of his time to frontline care veterans as the medical director and teaching attendant 12 months per year at a VA inpatient hospice unit in central Pennsylvania. Dr. Shreve is a clinical associate professor of medicine in Penn State's College of Medicine. Um, as most of us are aware, um, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization and the VA established the We Honor Veterans Program, uh, which has engaged more than 3,500 community hospices in improved care for veterans at end of life. Um, and Dr. Shreve, if uh, you're ready, um, you can take it away. And a reminder that this meeting is being recorded. Hey, thank you, Catherine. Can you uh, hear me okay with this uh, setup? You sound good. Thank you. Okay, great. Hey, thank you, Catherine. Welcome, everyone. Um, I uh, I just uh, want a picture in my mind. I see that there's uh, 19 phone lines on there, and I'm hoping that people are sitting around a table with a nice cup of coffee and got into work without problems this morning and uh, wish everyone safe travels uh, this afternoon. Uh, the picture here, uh, a couple of pretty faces uh, on the first slide there, and I just wanted to open with – uh, sharing about Bob, and um, Bob is an Air Force uh, retiree. Um, he volunteered at our VA, and we had what was called an ambassador's desk. And so you can picture 90-plus-year-old Bob at the ambassador's desk. He was a regular there. And on a day like today, if we had gotten some snow, it wouldn't be unusual for the resident that I work with from the Hershey Med Center to perhaps call in and say they were having difficulty getting in because of the snow, but 90-year-old Bob would be sitting at the ambassador desk as I walk across campus um, to go to our hospice unit. So he was a neat guy, and uh, I, uh, I walk across by that ambassador's desk two or three times a day going to see um, patients on our, on our hospice unit. And one day, Bob yells out at me, you know, Dr. Shreve, Dr. Shreve, I heard about this program called No Veteran Dies Alone. Can, can, I, uh, can I do it? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Bob, you know, you'd be wonderful for that. So he goes through the training for it, and um, he, uh, he gets, gets the opportunity to do a shift. And, and the No Veteran Dies Alone program at this facility, it's about a two-hour uh, shift, if you will, and it, it starts at 7 p.m., uh, the, the time he signed up for. And uh, he comes there, and he stays way beyond uh, 9 p.m. He's probably there still just shortly after 11 p.m. that night. And he goes home, and the next day I'm walking across campus. I walk by the ambassador desk, and he's really calling out loudly, Dr. Shreve, come on over. And he tells me the story how for his first night, he volunteered at the No Veteran Dies Alone program, sat at the bedside of a veteran who was dying. And later that night when he went home, he said he slept through the night for the first time since his wife had died two years earlier. And I just wanted to share this, that um, there's so much, um, it's such an honorable job that we all have in caring for veterans, but to share this uh, you know, veteran-to-veteran -veteran volunteering and the value that, that volunteers bring uh, to the bedside and, and not only give but also receive. And I am so deeply honored that uh, the family uh, asked me, uh, going f fast forward another uh, year or so, 
uh, and uh, Bob uh, ended up dying on that same hospice unit where he was volunteering, and uh, I got to provide his eulogy. So we have such warm memories of Bob with Miss Pennsylvania here every year. Uh, we get visited by Miss Pennsylvania, and uh, this is one of the uh, joyous pictures to share with you this morning. I am going to move forward. And by the way, I'm going to try to keep an eye on the chat box. You are welcome to type in questions. If you press star six and want to verbally ask a question anytime throughout the presentation, I welcome that too. A lot of uh, familiar names uh, on the participant list that I uh, see here uh, in terms of hospices. And uh, from the Maryland Hospice uh, Network, um, I have heard a lot of things from uh, Catherine Kemp at NHPCO of all the things you're doing with the We Honor Veterans Program, and really thank you uh, for that. Um, I have no conflict of interest. I uh, say this here half tongue in cheek, but it's a reality. I don't even accept cheap pens. I just I don't want any any money coming to me in any way. And we do have continuing education credits. Or I should say, Catherine Lolly and and the uh, the network have uh, figured out all the hard work here on getting you uh, continuing education credits. Um, this is what you will uh, rate the uh, presentation on on these objectives. Uh, try to share with you one benefit of screening uh, patients for veteran status. I don't know if I can say that all of the hospices in Maryland screen for veteran status. That would be a wonderful thing to be able to say. Two examples of how partnering with VA can help improve care. I think you may already know them, but I think it's good to always have a, a little bit of a refresher or vaccination. And then two indicators that VA is actually improving in the care of seriously ill veterans uh, well beyond uh, hospice care uh, upstream uh, in the palliative care end of things. This is just a quick overview and try to put you in the, the kind of the right mindset for where VA's hospice and palliative care program has come over the last eight years. In 2010, we initiated a nationwide survey, a 19-question survey sent out to all 20,000 families of veterans who die within VA facilities. We're getting about a 40% response rate, and it really is the driving force. We, we consider this the voices of veterans to tell us how to improve care. Um, 2011, we opened up 54 new hospice units across the country, uh, had designated training for all of our palliative care teams nationwide. We partnered with the Center to Advance Palliative Care, and then we also launched the We Honor Veterans Program, with I, which I believe many of you are, are very integral uh, members of. In 2012, I, I wonder how many healthcare systems can say that more of their patients die in designated hospice beds than in all of ICU and acute combined. I'll elaborate on this in a little bit, but I just I think that's such an impressive figure, and we tipped the scale in 2012, and it just keeps going. More and more veterans are choosing for hospice care. 2013, we received the American Hospital Association Circle of Life Citation of Honor Award. 2016, uh, over 3,000 We Honor Veteran partners. We're up above 3,500 now. In 2017, all-time high for outpatient consults. And this is really interesting. Just to go back really five years, we had very little outpatient palliative care across VA. And it has taken off. And I'll, I'll show you some of the trends on that. In 2018, probably... Um, one of the biggest, I, I, I don't know if we uh, can match uh, a few other healthcare systems, but, but I think pretty soon we may even surpass them. The Department of Veterans Affairs initiated what's called the Life Sustaining Treatment Decisions Initiative. Every physician in VA will be trained on how to have these kinds of conversations. We have a formatted template for documenting it and the, the template automatically feeds into the orders, and you can access it from the medical record with one click. And it is just a phenomenal system, and I'll give you a reference there uh, later on as to how you can uh, uh, look at how that whole uh, initiative was implemented across VA, and uh, just, just phenomenal what VA can do when it really uh, puts its mind to it. So coming home, uh, you all take care of a lot of veterans. I, I believe you know that there's um, really some significant cultural differences to the different war eras. And this is just an overview that you may have seen before that World War II kind of came home with a ticker tape parade. 
Korea in, in large part ignored in, in some respects, um, and then Vietnam, this, uh, this shaming part where country was torn apart and, and very mixed emotions um, about that war. And, and we'll talk about that in, in greater depth. But what I wanted to do was to really give you um, a bit of a video that um, the Hospice Foundation of America um, put together. And Frank Sesno, if any of you remember uh, Frank Sesno from uh, Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom, Enduring Freedom. And this video just covers a lot of uh, topics about war errors. I thought it was worth going back to see this clip. Uh-oh. I push play, but I can't get it to play. Oh, there we go. And I just want to comment, um, please don't register with Hospice Foundation of America. I think they've uh, eliminated that uh, video from their library. But uh, the We Honor Veterans Program, I believe, uh, purchased the uh, rights uh, to it, and it, it uh, likely will be available through We Honor Veterans. If anyone wants to see it, it's a full three hours, and if anybody's interested, happy to give you resources to that. There would be no charge. Uh, it was uh, purchased through uh, a VA uh, contract there. Um, I uh, wanted to ask uh, people, I think many of you may know what this is. Um, this is an honor flight uh, program uh, down at the World War II Memorial. And uh, boy, I'm, many of us have volunteered. My wife and I have gone down a number of times and uh, just a wonderful experience if you ever get the opportunity to go down and be uh, a part of this. I'll never forget there's a, a little guy off to the left-hand side there in kind of a plaid jacket and um, they bust uh, the veterans in from uh, Reagan National Airport. You help them off the bus and, and get them to the World War II Memorial here. And I never forget helping him off the bus as he stuck his head out and, and he stated, uh, I thought they forgot about me as he looked out at the uh, memorial. So really uh, wonderful opportunity and you all are, are pretty close to D.C. to take advantage of that. Um, I just, uh, in case you, know, you, you haven't seen a, a, a graphic uh, to show you how all of our jobs are going to change over the next decade or more, it's that we're going to be taking care of a lot more Vietnam-era veterans. And and this um, really, you know, I think highlights um, kind of how we need to adapt uh, to meet the needs of Vietnam-era veterans. And and I, uh, I, I just uh, put out there that perhaps all too often there are strained, if not estranged, relationships uh, among the cohort of Vietnam-era veterans. We've, we've touched on PTSD, but I, I don't think up to this point we've mentioned moral injury, and, and there's certainly uh, some overlap there with PTSD, but yet um, really not a, a recognized uh, uh, diagnostic and statistical manual uh, syndrome that has a, you know, an easy treatment uh, protocol. Um, suicides, uh, boy, that's um, certainly a priority with the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, uh, the vast majority of veterans that are committing suicide have, have never been touched by the VA system. So it's really important um, for all of you um, really to be aware of, of suicide, how to work with and deal with uh, suicide ideation. And I just uh, plant a seed here that uh, Congress has has really targeted um, their support for care of Vietnam-era veterans uh, getting hospice care. And I'll expand on that uh, in a little while, too. But it's, it's just um, it's going to be a real uh, steep learning curve um, as we all get to know how to better care for uh, the Vietnam-era veterans. Um, this just to kind of remind you all uh, that uh, only 3% of veterans really die in VA facilities. That video uh, talked about 95% dying outside VA facilities. It's actually 97%. Um, this is the 597,000 veterans that died last year, many more with advanced uh, serious illness and dementia. And, and you hear about a decline in the number of veterans, and that's certainly true. And, and a decade from now, uh, there will be 408, uh, estimated 485,000 veterans dying in a year. I just wanted to say that that decline is is not a uh, not a dramatic drop off. Uh, we'll still be close to a half million veterans dying uh, each year. Uh, collaborate, and I, I think I, I don't know the state. 
statistics, but I suspect Maryland may be uh, one of the, the highest participation rates uh, in the We Honor Veterans program, but this uh, word here, collaborate, to work uh, with one another, to cooperate, you know, to be on a call like this together and, and trying to share expertise about caring for veterans, I think is just wonderful. And, and uh, I, that, that number two uh, definition here, to cooperate usually willingly with an enemy nation, I think is, uh, is far from the truth that uh, anything I can do and the Department of Veterans Affairs can do to help all of us uh, better care for veterans at the end of life. I, I think um, I want to learn from you as much as share any expertise that, uh, that I can share from VA. So are you a veteran? That's, that's really what it begins with. I don't know how many um, hospices across the country out of the 5,000 or so that exist, how many are routinely asking, are you a veteran? Um, do I believe that VA can collaborate with these community hospices? I'm convinced of that. Um, VA has historically not been a very um, good partner with the community, but I can assure you um, recent legislation and VA leadership has uh, really um, changed the culture in VA that we are, uh, we, we are reaching out beyond our walls um, to partner and collaborate uh, in the care of veterans on many fronts, not just um, hospice and palliative care. This is just give you a, a bit of a graphic of the growth of the We Honor Veterans Program. These are the different partner uh, levels here. And boy, you know, the getting above 3,500 out of a total of 5,000 hospices nationwide, we're, we're really, you know, I, I think we're, we're at beyond the tipping point of, I, I believe this should just be, um, you know, just be uh, universal, that every community hospice should be a part of the We Honor Veterans Program. There, you know, there's no cost involved with it in the sense of being a designee. There certainly are some costs in ramping up uh, your program to address the needs of veterans. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful for all the levels, but uh, very much want to work at that recruit level, which is a better part of a little over a thousand. And so I think if there's any uh, any wisdom you can share that uh, uh, VA and perhaps uh, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization can use to help move people beyond that recruit phase, we certainly welcome your guidance and uh, will continue reaching out to help people uh, uh, progress through the different tiers. So are you a veteran is, is a great starting point. I, I really believe that um, the evolution of caring for veterans needs to go uh, beyond that to the point of, of asking, would it be okay if we talked about your military service? And you, you heard Paul Schutte in that video, you know, talk about how important your rank and, and your branch and your job is. And, and I think that's really good to know as well. But I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, after you ask, uh, would it be okay if we talked about your military service? Wow, the answer to that question can be overwhelming at times, and it may unmask uh, PTSD or moral injury or suicide ideation. And, and I, I have concerns as to are all of our hospice teams, both in VA and outside VA, prepared and feeling expert at um, how to deal with those answers? And we have some initiatives moving forward to help address that, but I'd certainly like to hear your thoughts um, on what is needed um, to make sure that we are all prepared to deal with uh, these issues going forward. Lessons learned, I've alluded to it already, but boy, having veterans in your organization is such a benefit. Um, in your volunteer pool, anything you can do to have veterans interact with other veterans um, that are uh, receiving hospice services, I think is a plus. And uh, um, there was a presentation on one of the national networking calls by NHPCO about, um, uh, it was called a Veterans Cafe. And this one uh, hospice uh, program um, just kind of brought uh, terminally ill veterans together with other veterans and, and they described it as uh, organically uh, conversation began and it was almost, um, I think, uh, like a therapy session, uh, an unscripted therapy session for the sharing uh, that went back and forth. And I want to strongly recommend uh, engaging any veterans in your organization in the care of other veterans. 
and uh, I took that Veterans Cafe uh, presentation uh, to our local leadership here at the VA where I work, and uh, a chaplain and myself are uh, starting a Veterans Cafe in December here at this facility and looking forward to that. So I wanted to kind of plant the seed for a little bit of the vision for where VA's palliative and hospice care program is going, um, moving upstream. And I think a big part um, of this I'll try to show you, or I will show you some data on uh, VA's outpatient palliative care consults. Um, but the uh, probably the biggest news uh, that really opened a, a major uh, hurdle for us was um, the VA Mission Act um, eliminated state borders for VA staff in the provision of telemedicine. So, for example, um, a psychologist in Delaware at a VA facility in Delaware could provide uh, therapeutic support uh, via telemedicine to an enrolled veteran in the state of Maryland. And, and eliminating those state borders um, really should open up the doors for VA to use telemedicine. And I want to let you know, uh, VA has immense capacity to do uh, telemedicine. We have the technology in place and, and, um, and moving forward with it. But in large part, our palliative and hospice care programs have not been using it. So I think there's a great opportunity there for community hospices to tap into VA expertise virtually and, uh, and bring that to the bedside. So we can uh, talk about that. Um, targeting, um, really, <laughs> there's never going to be enough palliative care teams, uh, in my mind, across the country, and our palliative care teams in the Department of Veterans Affairs are certainly stretched, but what we're trying to do is to see only the sickest uh, patients and not kind of have um, frivolous consults, uh, not that we get many frivolous consults, but we want to really make sure we're, we're targeting to those veterans that need it the most, and we have a population health indicator known as a care assessment need score, and it actually predicts um, the risk of death or hospital admission in the next 90 days or one year. And that really gives us a quick glance at who's at high risk there of, of potentially needing uh, palliative care. Uh, quality, I talked about uh, veterans and their families uh, giving us input through our bereaved family uh, survey scores. And the last one is building capacity and whatever we can do to help empower uh, community hospices as well as our VA non-palliative care providers. Uh, we want to work with you and, and partner with you to move forward in that. So I'm just going to go through uh, uh, 10 reasons uh, why I believe uh, partnering in the uh, We Honor Veterans program is, is worthwhile just with some quick vignette uh, stories uh, about these uh, top 10 reasons. And then we'll jump into some data from the Department of Veterans Affairs, and then we'll open it up um, to any questions you may have. Um, reason number 10 to participate in We Honor Veterans. The veteran in front of you may have scars you cannot see. I'm hoping some of you know this veteran. This is uh, Jim Cooper. Um, if I remember correctly, it was nine marriages and 11 children and went on to uh, die at the uh, Palo Alto VA, significant PTSD, um, and really became a, a spokesperson for uh, palliative care uh, throughout the country uh, with his doctor, Dr. V.J. Perry-Acoyle. Reason number nine, the veteran in front of you may have been spit on when returning from war. Uh, this is Bob and Barb. I, I cared for uh, Bob on our hospice unit. Oh, by the way, his uh, T-shirt here uh, says, I'm just one big freaking ray of sunshine, and um, aren't I? Uh, and uh, uh, this, is, um, this is a Vietnam-era veteran, came home and uh, went to bed, and an hour and a half later got up and checked on uh, his children in their bedrooms, then went out, walked the perimeter of his yard, and then went back to bed and about an hour and a half, two hours later, got up and checked on his children and checked the perimeter of his yard and continued to do that. Um, got significant uh, therapy from the, the VA here, ended up coming to our hospice uh, unit. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, just a, a wonderful couple here. Bob uh, has since uh, passed and Barb still occasionally comes back and uh, visits us on our unit. Number eight, the veteran in front of you may never have been thanked for their service. 
Boy, I, I think some of the uh, hospice programs in Maryland, you guys are really at the forefront of how to say thank you for your service. And I think engaging um, some of the, uh, the military, uh, some of the younger people in the ceremony, some of the, I'm thinking of uh, Annapolis uh, and, and uh, all the things that you do to say thank you. It just those services are just so powerful. Number seven, the veteran in front of you may not look like a combat veteran, but it can help to know it. And uh, this is uh, when we received um, a Golden uh, Vision Award, I think it was, from the National Hospice Palliative Care Organization. And just to share that the Vietnam-era veteran in this uh, photo is Chris Cody. And uh, many of us have fond memories of working with uh, Chris Cody over the years. Number six, the veteran in front of you may be from the greatest generation. In a few years, they'll all be gone. And I'm really blessed. I have internal medicine residents rotating with me every month for uh, all 12 months out of the year, and they get to meet um, World War II veterans and hear history firsthand, and it's just uh, such a delight to, um, to have that face-to-face uh, -face sharing uh, of what, um, what these veterans uh, went through and uh, what they experienced. Number five, the veteran in front of you may need forgiveness to get closer to being at peace. Um, this is a, a chaplain on our unit, and this is a, a Marine veteran, uh, Bob. And uh, Bob um, had uh, pretty severe uh, symptoms from his military experience. I didn't use the phrase PTSD because he really wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't share all he would do, and I brought it up as breakdown in tears and say, I can't talk about that. And our chaplain um, is just a wonderful soul, and, and he just started having coffee and cookies with Bob in our back kitchen. And over a period of a couple weeks, you could see Bob's face relax. And, and I asked him about him want, if he wanted to talk any more about his difficult military experience, and he said, nope, Father, Father Daigle and I have it all in line. I'm good. And uh, just um, a thank you to, to the chaplains that do amazing care on, on our hospice teams. Number four, the veteran in front of you may be a decorated hero, and uh, homelessness uh, has been a priority for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and I'm, I'm confident in saying that if you are a veteran and you are homeless and you call the VA, you will have a roof over your head and a place to stay that evening. Um, the Department of Veterans Affairs just provides immediate response to uh, homelessness and veterans and I've spoken to the Director of Homelessness for VA, and I think I'm paraphrasing correctly that he said, if a veteran is homeless uh, today, it's, uh, it's by choice, uh, not because um, they haven't been offered uh, shelter. Um, the veteran, number three reason to join We Honor Veterans program is the veteran in front of you may enrich your life in ways you may uh, have never realized. And this is Frank from our hospice unit, and oh my gosh, he just warmed the hearts of our whole team. And I think uh, this is just a, a small evidence of how much nursing staff uh, loved him and, uh, and grew to care for him uh, on our uh, unit. I'm sure all of you have experienced that. Sometimes you don't even see it coming. Uh, number two, the veteran in front of you may be the last one of an era in our nation's history, Frank Buckles, the last World War I veteran. I suspect there are some people on this phone that um, may see uh, the end of World War II era. And the last one, uh, the veteran in front of you may have seen these beaches many years ago. This is Normandy. Uh, just last week, um, I took care of a veteran on our hospice unit who paratrooped inland, I think it was about 15 miles or so inland, and uh, paratroop down, and he described in great detail how he was to prevent the Germans from getting to the beach from uh, inland side, and how he uh, booby-trapped a, a bridge, and if they couldn't hold back the Germans, they were instructed to blow the bridge so the Germans couldn't cross the river, and uh, he described uh, that whole experience and, and shared with me how proud he was that they didn't have to blow the bridge, and they were able to hold the Germans back to protect uh, the beach uh, for the uh, uh, the invasion. So that's, they were the, the 10 reasons on why I think our collaboration and We Honor Veterans is so important. I, I want to share with you a, a, just a, a bit about um, a national initiative within the Department of Veterans Affairs and this um, cartoon, um, by the way, from uh, a mentor of, of mine when I was going through medical school. He's also an artist. 
um, Dr. Herring, but how do I tell him he's going to die, a uh, physician at the bedside, and then the patient uh, thinking, when will he tell me I'm going to die? And, and these uh, conversations uh, may come more easily to those of us on this call, but for uh, many clinicians and, and teams, it doesn't always come so naturally. And I think that um, learning how to have these conversations is, is something that um, healthcare systems across the country are really taking on. And um, I, I have two uh, kind of links here. Um, Dr. Atul Gawande, uh, I think all of you have probably heard of. Um, I think the most recent book is um, uh, Being Mortal, uh, wonderful. Um, he's done a PBS special, a similar uh, title, many other books. This is a three-minute um, YouTube that I share with the residents that come on our service, and I kind of describe it as um, a palliative medicine fellowship in three minutes or less. And so it really capsulizes it. I'm not going to show it here, um, but I wanted to make mention of that. And the other reference here is really a, what I'll call a soup-to-nuts article on VA's comprehensive approach to eliciting, documenting, and honoring patient wishes for care near the end of life. And, and I, I uh, mentioned it briefly earlier, but uh, I just want to give you the scope of this is that for any seriously ill veteran, and here's how we define seriously ill, if you would not be surprised if they died in the next year or two, so this is way beyond um, you know, a hospice paradigm, then you as a VA clinician and team need to have one of these conversations, a life-sustaining treatment discussion and goals of care conversation, and then document it. And and uh, we can track these conversations across the country. We've worked with um, uh, four pilots before this implementation rolled out, and now VA facilities um, have 18 months from the release of this um, uh, directive uh, to put this into place. And I just want to let you know, you know, we're probably not up to uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, uh, that city that has just been phenomenally effective in implementing advanced directives. But this is, is on that par of every enrolled veteran that is seriously ill having one of these um, uh, goals of care conversations and then putting it into action with the associated orders in an electronic health record that can be accessed with one click. So I really think um, this article from the Joint Commission Journal just provides a wonderful overview of how VA is doing it and uh, put it out there as a good reference point for anyone who wants to dig into this issue further. So here's my uh, next few slides are to try to convince you that VA is actually um, doing some, some meaningful work in palliative and hospice care and what indicators or measures would convince you. And there are many other indicators. If you have some on your mind um, and want to kind of challenge me uh, to see if we're measuring it, I welcome uh, that. We may or may not be measuring it, but we try to um, be as evidence-based um, as we can. So this is um, looking at this pie. Um, we look at uh, the top 2%, what we consider to be the sickest 2% veterans. And this is using this care assessment need score of predicting uh, death or admission to the hospital. And, and we look and see how, how well are we attacking or approaching those sickest veterans. And you can see that of that entire pie, uh, palliative care in the VA system has touched about 17%. I want to just um, put out a caveat here. Um, these patients are at risk of hospitalization or death. So a significant number of these high-risk patients may be mental health, behavioral health patients who have recurrent admissions but are not expected to die in the next year or two. So I'm not saying that all of these patients require palliative care, but this is a, a way to give us an initial target to look for some of the sickest of the sick. So if you flip this around and say of all the palliative care consults that were done nationwide, what is the care assessment, the average care assessment need score? And that is 98. So if you look at all the consults that VA uh, palliative care teams are doing, we are seeing very sick patients nationwide and, and likely are, are at our capacity as to the number of patients we can see. Um, but, I, but I'm going to share with you how we're still growing despite um, seemingly 
pushing our heads up against the ceiling of capacity. This is a graph just to show you um, how uh, VA has been able to reduce the number of deaths occurring in acute care and ICU over the last, uh, really greater than the last decade, but also how veterans are choosing to go to hospice units in the last um, weeks or uh, months of life. So 60% uh, of veterans in the VA healthcare system, inpatient deaths, die in a designated hospice bed, and that flexion point right in the middle there at FY uh, 2012 is, is when we really uh, cross paths there. I think this is just a phenomenal statistic for a healthcare system. There is, there is no pressure. Um, this is solely offering veterans um, the care that they need uh, at end of life. And I just wanted to, to kind of qualify so um, people don't misunderstand it because our VA hospice units are would really best be um, described as nursing home hospice units, meaning they're, they're not the equivalent of your GIP. Um, they're not a, a acute care uh, units in large part. And so these units um, have a, a median length of stay of about 14 days. They're really the safety net for a veteran who may not have a social support system that allows staying in the home, and yet they can get specialized care in this um, nursing home unit within a VA uh, facility. Uh, VA, uh, uh, VA calls nursing homes community living centers. It's just I want you to know the, the language that we use. This is one of my favorite slides, not only for its uh, colorfulness, but um, this is what, what I will call the dose effect of, of palliative care. Um, the uh, the green bars here show the percentage of families. Oh, I, I should make a note. This is of all the veterans that die in VA facilities across the country, whether you die in acute care, ICU, a hospice unit, um, a nursing home bed without any palliative care. So we look at that, and we send out these surveys to ask how good was your care in the last month of life, regardless of where you died in the VA system. And then this is breaking out the the percentage of family respondents who rated care as excellent. This is what we call top box rating. So in the green bars, you can see that's the, the lowest uh, percentage of families rating care as excellent. And then going up to the blue bars, that's if they received a palliative care consult. Statistically significant, and by the way, I should say the sample sizes in each of these years is approaching nine, 10,000 patients. We're in that 40% of the, uh, the 20,000 inpatient deaths. In the red bars, that's an inpatient hospice bed, but it's not in a designated unit. So it just may be an isolated bed in a, in a nursing home section, but they've kind of, you know, they've labeled that bed hospice, and, and we know this patient is receiving hospice, but it's not an entire dedicated unit to hospice, which is the orange bars uh, on the right-hand side and the highest satisfaction. And as you increase the, the, uh, the amount of palliative or hospice care a veteran receives, the percentage of families that rate care as excellent just goes up year after year. And this is um, this consistency really is convincing evidence, uh, one, of the value of palliative care, and two, of the differences. And by the way, all of these differences are statistically uh, significant with very uh, small p-values. So anyway, I think um, uh, you should uh, should realize um, how how good the care is in these um, uh, VA hospice units, and if you took the national average for the percentage of families rating care as excellent in VA hospice units, it's four percentage points higher than the national average on the um, uh, the hospice caps uh, survey that uh, Medicare has mandated. So just to try to put that into perspective. I want to also mention that these scores are case mix adjusted as well as adjusted for non-response bias. So we try to use a very rigorous uh, methodologic approach um, to reporting uh, these scores. And then this is just the national average of the percentage of families that rated us as excellent. Uh, in 2014, you may not remember, but boy do I remember, um, in April of 2014, uh, the media 
uh, burst open uh, with an access scandal in Phoenix, Arizona at the VA there about there being um, two books for uh, keeping records on veterans' access to, um, to services. Overnight, our uh, percentage of families uh, rating uh, VA care as excellent dropped um, uh, just three to four points overnight. No care changed across the country, but the national average dropped overnight. And we've been really recovering. Uh, it took us almost two to three years to recover from that um, that, that uh, access scandal. But we, I, we are well on our way and um, have surpassed those scores and really looking to increase this national average about uh, one to two percentage points uh, every year going forward. Um, this is only top box scoring excellent. If you add in very good, it's 88% of uh, respondent families rate uh, the last month of care in VA as excellent or very good. This is just to give you an idea of the growth in outpatient. Um, we're up now uh, really approaching that 25,000 mark. Um, uh, just phenomenal amount of uh, uh, growth here, and, and I'll just put this into perspective. There is no uh, centralized targeted funding for these teams. This is local VAs um, deciding that palliative care, especially outpatient palliative care, has value. Our program office is supporting it, and uh, we've learned that um, when we start to integrate with um, uh, the specialty clinics in the outpatient arena, um, the referrals uh, go up and veterans tend to get their palliative care interventions earlier in the disease trajectory. So growing, growing our outpatient consults as well as even community care consults through telemedicine is an area where is really the frontier uh, for VA and probably the nation. I want to wrap up here uh, with a uh, video. This is a short segment of a video um, uh, clip. Uh, Stephen Colbert is interviewing Ken Burns, and I have no political agenda here, but I found this interview spoke volumes about the many perspectives of uh, the Vietnam War. Whoop, we don't want to do improving uh, care for veterans. We want to get to the Stephen Colbert video. Um, and uh, anyway, it speaks volumes about um, the Vietnam War, and I think uh, Ken Burns uh, also has a, a great closing here for us moving forward that, um, that care for uh, Vietnam-era veterans and, and our country in general. Director, whose latest documentary is The Vietnam War. Please welcome Ken Burns. There you go, Ken. Good to see you again. Nice to see you. Now, uh, I have seen uh, the first two episodes of this so far, but I'm about three hours in then, and uh, it is one of the most uh, powerful um, uh, documents I've ever seen. Of course, I grew up in the shadow of the Vietnam War because I remember the end of it, um, but the complexity of that war before the United States was even involved, before 1959, what we were stepping into as a country I was completely unaware, however complicated I thought it was, I was not prepared at all for what uh, uh, a, a tangle it was. Were, were you, what surprised you about what you learned about this story? Everything. Every day, every day working on this for 10 years surprised us. I thought I knew something about it. I lived through it. I lived on a college campus against the war. I had a high draft number. It was an amazing period, and I went in thinking, ah, finally a subject I know something about. And Lynn Novick and I started working on this, and we realized how little we knew. The first episode is called Deja Vu because of the hundreds, literally hundreds of things that happened to the French that we could have taken as kind of warning symbol, you know, like bridge out three miles, bridge out two miles, wait, barricade through, and then suddenly like a cartoon in the middle of the air going, hey, how did we get here? And that's Vietnam at the very beginning. You, you said uh, just a moment ago you had a high draft number. Right. Now, for young people yeah, right. out here who, who don't know, who may not even be re registered for selective service, even though right. it, still, it still continues to the state. Uh-oh. Mark Twain said history doesn't... 
Wait, Catherine, a little tough on the buffering here. We'll we'll go for another minute, but the experience developed. I'm going to pause it for a second. Sometimes the buffering can catch up, um, and uh, I just want to uh, open it up for any questions, and we'll give the buffering a, a chance here. I'm not going to jump to the next slide, as I really want to try to show you the ending of this, and we'll just uh, see if the buffering can catch up. All right, I'll try once more here. When, by its nature, as another documentary says, The Fog of War, it's hard to know. It's almost unknowable because it is so complex, and so many of the figures end up dying in that war. That's exactly right. So we tell the story of this war from all the different perspectives. When Americans talk about Vietnam, they normally just talk about themselves. But we interviewed, Lynn Novick, our, my co-director, interviewed North Vietnamese, Soldiers and North Vietnamese civilians, Viet Cong guerrillas, South Vietnamese soldiers, South Vietnamese civilians, and diplomats and protesters, in addition to more than 50 Americans we have from every walk of life, from people who oppose the war to unbelievably brave Marines and uh, Army guys charging up hills to gold star mothers who didn't have to tell us their incredible stories, so that we could understand that in war more than one truth could happen at the same time, that we could create a space, unlike today we are so divided, so everything is so toxic that we wanted to remind people that even at a terrible time, we could actually describe the story by telling it from lots of different points of view and represent you um, and uh, appreciate um, all that you do in caring for veterans. If there's anything I can do to help in the process, please don't hesitate to email or get in contact with uh, the We Honor Veterans Group and NHPCO. I, I meet with them. Catherine uh, Kemp and I uh, talk regularly and do everything we can to support that initiative. Welcome any questions uh, you have, um, assuming you're not having to run to go beat some snow. We're not getting any here yet in central Pennsylvania. Great. We have, it looks like we have a question in the box, and if anyone wants to ask it live, please hit star six to unmute your line um, so you can ask Dr. Shree. Uh, hello, Dr. Wilner. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, Dr. Wilner. Thanks. Yeah, hi. Thanks for the great presentation. I have two questions. One is, what is the um, care needs assessment tool you use to screen people for palliative care needs? Yeah, oh boy, you asked a mouthful. Um, so uh, it's uh, the the validation work uh, was done by a researcher Wang. Um, I'm sorry, it was a few years back, but it it um, it looks at 160 different variables in the VA uh, administrative and uh, clinical care record, and has. Um, then goes through, you know, this predictive process with these 160 variables to predict um, an, an outcome for the veteran. It's updated weekly, and I, I, I don't know the nature of your question asking about it, but my sense is it would be impossible, very difficult for um, another uh, hospice or healthcare system to adopt that. It's just so involved and so... Um, so, so laborious. Yeah, you know, that tool is uh, analogous to something called the Mortality Risk Index, which uh, has a lot of utility in nursing homes where it calls data from the minimum data set. The same mm -hmm. concept. Exactly. Uh, my, yep. my, my second question uh, is, what is the criteria for admission to your hospice units, and um, does every VA hospital carve out a percentage of beds to create such a unit? Yeah, good questions. So um, the criteria for uh, admission to our inpatient hospice units is, um, is, is, is different than the GIP, which I think is, is the world that, that many of you may work in. So uh, if a veteran has you know the the life expectancy less than six months appropriate for hospice and requires nursing home level care that is kind of the gist of admission to um, our inpatient hospice units in in the VA nursing homes or community living centers 
Now, I, I say that, but I also want to let you know, and I, I, I hope or believe that there are people on this call who realize that um, that it can be very difficult to prognosticate, and, and oftentimes these units have a limited number of beds, and I shared that the national median length of stay is 14 days, and, and that that's what it is, but I just want to let you know, we, we just, many of us that have these units are, are always uh, kind of juggling and, you know, you get someone who, a veteran who may survive much longer than you need, and, or longer than you kind of anticipated, I shouldn't say need, but um, the beds can fill up very quickly. And so we try to, to make the best use of them uh, that we can. Um, I think, uh, let me see, you asked, oh, do, does every VA have one? No, not every VA does. There's about 92 of these designated units um, across the country, units, I said, as, um, as these facilities uh, define a unit. But the vast majority, I mean, getting up into almost every VA has the capacity to do some uh, form of hospice care, what they'll do is have their palliative care team come and provide care like in an acute care bed. And, and I don't think that would be the equivalent to a hospice unit, but it can oftentimes provide that bridge until we can get the veteran placed perhaps in a community nursing home or some other setting. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Dr. Wallen. Great. Does anyone else have a question for Dr. Shree? Great. If anyone has a follow-up question, please feel free to email me and I'll forward it to them. Um, but we wanted to thank you so much, Dr. Shree, for this great presentation this morning um, on behalf of the network. We appreciate it so much. All right. Well, thank you. I thank the network for all they do, and uh, have a safe travel day. You too. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Scott Shreve, who was brought to us courtesy of the Hospice and Palliative Care Network of Maryland, and to thank you for listening to the Palliative Care Chat Podcast. This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2019, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.